Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. And we're back with another episode of Let Me Check, Keep It. I'm Louis Fertel. And I'm Ira Madison Third. And let me tell you, I woke up this morning to an announcement, and I already knew what Louis was about to talk about on this damn show. Oh, you can see the stars in my eyes. The lucky stars in my eyes. Well, we were anticipating this for a while, but Madonna is going on a world tour celebrating her 40 years in the business, 40 years of hit making. And I'm just going to say, first of all, I just tweeted this actually, that when I saw the announcement in which she does a video in which she's playing Truth or Dare with Amy Schumer and a bunch of people, I believe Kate Berlant's in there too. Yeah. And um, uh, Amy dares her to go on tour. And they and Amy's like, I need you to do all your old hits. Like, and she starts singing Open Your Heart and she says, La Isla Bonita. And then Madonna sort of sings along to La Isla Bonita, except would you call that singing? Because what <laughs> fell out of her grill? Uh, I am obviously going to be seated for the tour, although probably like in the pit or something, because it'll be at Madison Square Garden. Um, mm-hmm. But and I'm excited to see Madonna at Madison Square Garden, to be honest. Um, but that, if that's a portend of yeah. the tour, <laughs> listen, I mean, it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, I know that bitch has still got it with the moves. You know, we saw the last tour, and she will. She will take whatever um, ancient herbs she needs to. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Right. This whatever, is a ginkgo um, sponsored tour. Yeah, <laughs> whatever ice baths that she will be taking um, to prepare her joints for this. Fine, but the singing, I, I, I like. I, I'm. I, I also am worried that we're gonna get the old songs we want to hear, but are we gonna get the versions of them that we want? Oh right. I'm I'm will they, will they be trapified? Will they be <laughs> reggaetonified or you know? what country has she been in yeah. um the past year? <laughs> oh she's no. Like, <laughs> the sounds of Zimbabwe. Yes, right. But the song is Cherish. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um so yeah cuz like we saw the Madame X tour which as you know was a prison experiment where Madonna kept her fans <laughs> in an underground bunker without their phones and tortured them. Um, We uh, luckily went late because we do know that Madonna, fair warning, if if you're planning to go to the Celebration Tour and you've never seen Madonna live, do not be on time. No. But, and by the way, once upon a time, her whole thing was punctuality. She'd, She'd be the person who showed up to any shoot like an hour ahead of time. And now... I don't know. Like she read an article about Lauren Hill and decided that should be me. <laughs> but yeah, we saw the Madame X tour and though she can still move somewhat, like I, I just don't know how she's going to make the scale of this tour work. It's going to be a lot of production voodoo, I think as it always is, but a lot of dancers, 
Yes, a lot of dancers, millions of dancers. Yeah. When, when I realized how much I'd be spending on this, I said, God, give me strength. Like, like, like a character in Women Talking. Um, Listen, die, Ticketmaster needs to die. Yeah, it's I, worrisome. Like, there, are too many, there are too many. Everyone is on tour this summer. And although I'm, I'm still concerned that Beyonce is never reemerging. Yeah, right. She she was very satisfied with what she did this past year. She's like, what if, what if I live in this cocoon? What if I stay there? I've had it. Yeah, you you've yeah. all got enough. Right. You get a Rihanna Super Bowl. I feel like I'm I'm covered somewhat somehow. I'm going to stop. And even though we've discussed that, by the way, I still keep forgetting that Rihanna is about to do the Super Bowl. Mostly because it feels like there's been no real rollout. Right. Besides those two Black Panther songs, which I have not listened to since the since I saw the film. And if Gold Derby is correct, she will be Oscar nominated for that song too. Even though it's getting to the point where I'm going to need money if I'm going to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't need to be settled down that much. I don't need to be lulled. Uh, it's it's still ironic that song is called "Lift Me Up." <laughs> Right, it's it's not what's occurring to me mentally as I listen to this song. I'm trying to follow the instructions. Uh, but um, other big news out of this weekend was um, the best reality show you all need to be watching, which is The Traitors on Peacock. Um, and I want to talk about how I haven't seen the UK version yet. I've heard me neither, that which I hear is great, which I hear is yeah. great, yes. Um, but the gays were talking, and I think that this was a perfect blend of getting the Bravo gays and also the um reality like competition gays together because um Lewis and I were at this party, uh, Gay Watch in Venice this weekend, and I was in the bathroom discussing the show with someone and Truly, like two people popped their heads over a stall and were like, "Are you talking about the traitors?" Right. No, I, I'm. I'm kind of shocked it's gotten everywhere, given that it always feels like with with the mole, which is the show I it's most closely compared to. It feels like a show you constantly have to explain to people, and you have to be like, "Oh, well, it's not really like Survivor. It's not really like Big Brother or or you know any other reality show. It's just this thing where somebody's a spy and you have to figure it out." I will say this. I heard a lot of comparisons. I do think The Mole is a better show. It is. It you is. Know, because then you get to play at home. You don't know who the moles are. And so you're sussing out. You have, you have various reasons to suspect different people. Who's sabotaging missions? Who's not taking the quiz every week? You know, there's lots to think about that helps you solve it. This is like sitting outside of a game of werewolf. So you're watching. You know who, is, you know who are the, the quote-unquote traitors or the moles are, and you know who is trying to figure out who they are. There's three people working against the group, um, picking them off one by one in the middle of the night. If you've ever, if you, Literally, it's exactly like Werewolf. It's exactly like it. Um, is Werewolf but, the same as Mafia? Yes, at least as, as I've played it. Yes, it's the okay. same. Um, and I thought it was smart that they use a mix of reality characters and non-reality people. There's people from uh, there's Housewives and there's Big Brother contestants. Rachel Riley is back. Uh, R- Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte. What a crazy choice. I mean, they Seeing really... his doofy self on TV, it's, it's kind of funny because you, you, maybe, you know, maybe this is what comes with celebrity or just being um, 
a goofy white straight man. But, you know, I like I pretty much have forgotten about like when we were all angry at him. Right. Uh, no, I mean, as, as a friend of mine reminded me, known liar, Ryan. Lockett. So he's kind of good casting for this. <laughs> um, I think the celebs helped to get people to watch. I think yeah. the game would be better probably without celebs because I feel like some of the non-celebrity people were a bit muted at first. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Except for one of the players, Christian, who was absolutely deranged. (laughs) He was a a mix of like, well, this is not spoiling anything because they tell you who the, they they choose the traitors at the beginning of the game and then we watch them conspire and figure out how they're going to operate as the game's going on. So you see both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. But Christian is this combination of making wild swings and uh, during the game in which he's supposed to be furtive and yet also convincing like is it crazy just because we're on the outside and we know he's a a a traitor or would we too have been convinced if we were inside the game you know well it's also i think that you know like not having played it before that maybe like a season two of traitors like people would be playing a little bit better because there was this thing where Anytime someone smart would figure out who a traitor was and they'd voice that, everyone would assume that they were the traitor right. for throwing suspicion on someone else. I was because very no one else unim- was talking. Right, right. I was very unimpressed with certain re- like people would all gang up on like this woman Kate from Below Deck. Icon, by the way, she is very beleaguered during the course of this show. Yeah. Almost enough to make me want to watch Below Deck. I was like, I don't know how she was so compelling, but also like completely irritated with the game as well. Right, right, right. The weird thing about this show is they do have challenges to build money, but they are completely unrelated from the mole aspect of the game. Like both sides, the traders and the what they're called faithfuls in this game, are working together to build a pot. And then at the end of the game, only one side wins that money. So they have no reason to sabotage the games like in the mole. But What's weird is that means there's no real drama there. It's just people like beating challenges. You know what it kind of reminded me of? Old road rules, you know, where like seven people would be set up to like, Mm. well, if you can all like paraglide over this jetty and find a buried treasure, you get the money, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've said this before on the show, but like I do miss road rules. It was such a great show. I'm watching the current season of The Challenge, which is always fun. Um I mean, and shout out to my new favorite team, Horacio and Olivia. But I will say, I think that road rules could come back. Like, they, it's like, a the great challenge, show. People forget about it, and like, no one even thinks about real world anymore. But I think that, like, the concept of sticking people in an RV, road, real world style again, and then having them do competitions would be compelling. it reveals something about the people when they like bond together and like do things. It's like a very wholesome show ultimately. Uh, And I do want to say one last thing about the traders. Alan Cumming is the host. Now, okay, we had this man on keep it. And I said specifically to him, you've only hosted the Tonys once and you have very little hosting in your background and you are such a natural at it. Why don't you do more of it? And he went on to say, well, he specifically made choices not to be sort of pegged as a presenter. Cause like, you know, over where he's from, that's like it's, it, its own business. Like certain people just end up hosting forever. Mm-hmm. This bitch has been holding out on us because I don't know what, <laughs> what barrel, we, barrel of money we drop kicked at him to host this show. He is fucking fabulous. He is like, he, 
comes strolling in. He is in masterpiece theater mode. So you are getting like, ah, murder from him at any given turn. He is dressed like gay ass Inspector Gadget. Looking <laughs> fabulous. Really, Emmy, Emmy nomination worthy hosting on this show. I'm so glad they got Alan Cumming to do this. And Emmy nomination worthy acting for Sari Fields, who <laughs> has truly just been, because, you know, like we said, Christian is. Um, Initially tapped as one of the traitors. So is Sari. And so Survivor is, Legends, Sari, yes. Yes. And so is Cody um Calfore. Um, from Big who, Brother. F- from Big Brother. Um and also the challenge. Um she just I mean, Sari's just a legend. And it's great to see her on TV again. So I mean, that's also the draw. If you're a Survivor fan, like you just you just want to watch her. Like yeah. I would I would love to see I always sort of wish that she'd been back on Survivor. In that season where Rob won, um, I think it was Redemption Island, where he played with a bunch of idiots, um, because she would have cleaned up. And famously, Suri has not won any of the seasons of Survivor she's been on, even though she's a heralded player in many regards. Yeah. Um, no, I, the, the Keith draw of this show, outside of the gameplay, and by the way... I wish we could talk about the end of the show because I have questions about that too, specifically the editing of the end of the show. Yes, But... Um, Watching her manipulate people and have them not only trust her, but literally be like, would you be the godmother to my kids is so yes. crazy. I've never seen anything like that. The, but that's the, how the she played level. Survivor, too. You know, like sort of like without ego, letting people come to her um, and have it feel like they were in the driver's seat, you know, as opposed to the other like cockier players who need to be like, I'm running this, you know? Yes. Um, Because there's a certain way to play Survivor where, like, and we've gotten, you know, like, not to get into all of that, you know, because we got an episode to do. But, um, you know, there's a certain point in, like, Survivor now, you know, where people are like, oh, you you were carried to the end, you know? Um, And, like, that thing that always happens now, um, which was the detriment to um, Good Sis, who should have won this year. Um, But... There's just a sort of like ability to play the game where it feels like once you get to the end, no one feels like they carried you. Everyone feels like no, somehow you worked some magic to um, get yourself in the end and make everyone love that you voted them out. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's like this reverse psychology thing. I will say something else about this show. It bothers me that the money is divided up between only people who survive because mm-hmm. the traders are picking up people somewhat picking off people somewhat randomly on the show. Like it has nothing to do with how good they are at the game. Like it, on the mole, you're eliminated because you did the worst on the quiz that week. It's like a mm-hmm. merit based loss. Whereas here it's like, well, it makes no sense. I mean, like, you pick off people because they're doing well, in fact. So, I I don't know. That bothers me, too. There's just gameplay elements that aren't as solid as them all. But watch the whole show. You get Alan Cumming. You get lots of characters. You get people who are so stressed out all the time, which is really the core of why we like these shows. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of reality, uh, we've got a Bravo Liberty. Yes. Joining us this week. Well, joining me this week. Lewis is disengaging from the conversation, which is appropriate because it's the queen of disengaging herself joining uh, Meredith Marks from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City will be joining us. I'll let you get this fucking Jen Shaw shit out of your system once and for all. (laughs) Enjoy. Uh, By the way, I'm sometimes proud of um, the Keep It episode titles. Like Sometimes they're like perfunctory. Sometimes they're like really good. 
Um, sure. The fa- the best one I ever came up with still has to be when Jen Shaw was arrested and we talked about it, and I named the episode Shaw Real Monsters. <laughs> one of the great Klasky Supo cartoons. Take that, Rugrats. And then she turned out to be a monster. See, you were right. You were on. <laughs> what we do here is detective work. If you haven't detected that yet, yeah. Um, and then we will also be discussing the the name on everyone's lips this week, Prince Harry. Everyone's frostbitten lips. Yes, his memoir Spare is, I believe, one of the like fastest selling nonfiction books at this point, um, which is insane. I mean, take that um, Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think also because we've also seen like video clips of angry Brits buying tons of copies of the book to burn it. You know that helps him, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like when there used to be all that footage of Sinead O'Connor's CDs being like run over in the streets. I'm like, so you bought them. Okay. <laughs> the like the disco burning too. Yes. The, oh yeah. Um that the worst. it's like you went to the record store. And bought this Sylvester record. The, oh, that, by the way, that in that Bee Gees documentary where they talked about that, yeah, I will not get over how they were like they were burning disco records. They would assume they were disco records, but it was really just black people on album covers. <laughs> like they were just wrong. Come on, Nina Simone. <laughs> like, yeah, like Smokey Robinson or something. Just anybody counted as disco. <laughs> um. Meanwhile, Captain and Tennille safe. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And thriving. Not together anymore, but thriving. Uh, And then we also are going to get into the trend that has taken over your social media um, the past few weeks. We're going to talk about what's in and what's out in 2023. I can't wait. I hope this is helpful to everybody, including me. Yeah. Uh, So we will be right back with more. Keep it. The Duke of Sussex has dropped his notorious tell-all memoir, and when we say tell-all, we mean tell more than anyone needs to know about someone's frostbitten todger. Mountbatten Windsor is out. Frostbitten todger is in. (laughs) Harry Frostbitten Todger, the Frostbitten Todger clan. Uh, Okay, so I was reading this book, but I do want to highlight the fact that I could not listen to the audiobook because the clips that people released online were terrifying. Yeah. Also, there's a real deadpan quality to the way he reads it, which <laughs> I think must have had some allure for people because obviously the stories are uh, vivid, as you just described, but he really does not seem to be reacting to them in any way. It's not like listening to a book by, you know, uh, an audio book by Amy Poehler or something where she's really living the emotions along with you. No, it it was giving very, you know, I, I we talked about Mariah's book on this show, right? And I feel like that is still the gold standard for um a really good, you know, memoir. Um, and that listening to her read it out loud, you know, it was, it was, you were very engrossed. Like you felt pulled into Mariah Carey's life, you know, and this felt there was like, there was so much distance, uh, in the audio quality, which is why I went to the reading. And let me tell you the reading. I don't know if he wrote this himself. Um, <laughs> I'm not he wrote it accuse- alongside the guy who also wrote The Tender Bar, which I only saw the Ben Affleck movie, but apparently the book oh. is good. Okay, so that is why the prose 
baby, the prose is giving. Okay. Uh, oh, like, really? The, like the opening, the book starts out. Um, we agree to meet a few hours after the funeral in the Frogmore Gardens by the old Gothic ruin. I got there first. I looked around, saw no one. I checked my phone. No texts, no voicemails. They must be running late, I thought, leaning against the stone wall. I put my phone and told my I put away my phone and told myself, stay calm. The weather was quintessentially April, not quite winter, not quite spring. Anyway, it's like it's giving Arthur fiction. Conan Doyle here. Yes, yeah. It's it's a thriller. I, I will say about the details in this book that have picked up a lot, namely the stories of how he got frostbite or whatever, and he keeps saying we're Todger again and again. This isn't entirely crazy for a celebrity memoir. In fact, you can basically expect one or two TMI tidbits that get people talking, but it wouldn't make headlines if it were just somebody who normally releases this kind of book, which is Rob Lowe. You know, it doesn't sound like out of line with something someone like that would say, but man, we were really just starved to know what this man's true personality is because even through like the interview tidbits we got on Oprah and stuff, I don't think it came through. So I think it was people all were Megan. Really starved. Yes, right. It was all Megan. So I think people were starved to real to like what is actually going on between him and William. And I was shocked how uh derisive he was physically of William. <laughs> he was like this bald bitch. He kept being like baldy here. Yeah. He said it like the chain smokers talking about Halsey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, bald bitch. bitch yeah. <laughs> that Which, should be a tweet. You should get on that. <laughs> Which, side note, apparently Selena Gomez is dating one of the, the chain smokers. That could just be anybody I see on the street here in L.A. So, <laughs> Godspeed to her and chain um, smokey. It is interesting to sort of get into Harry's mind now, right? Because us growing up, you know, like when we were like, um, when we were like college, you know, because like we're about... Um, we're a little younger than he is, yeah. Because I think he's born yeah. in 84, maybe. Yeah, so Harry is 38. Uh, so he's a couple years older than us. But um, he was constantly in the media when we were, like, in college. You know, right. like, he, his party boy days and then, you know, his military um, period was sort of when he really sort of, like, was like, I'm dropping out of the media, et cetera. Mm. You know, but, like, Prince Harry was always sort of in the news, for us. Yeah. So we saw that side of him. And now it's interesting for him to be back in the spotlight with his, um, you know, sort of his Patti LaBelle new attitude. <laughs> I think you're I, I think you're giving his attitude more credit than it deserves already, even by comparing him to Patti LaBelle. But I uh, appreciate that. Listen, he's stirring it up. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I feel like. Uh, actually reading the book it does unfortunately devolve into like this guessing game of who's leaking what to the media which it's not something i need him to really speculate about like just focus on what actually happened in your life like the the press around the royal family is always too annoying anyway and also and too like in a way the fact that he gives voice to certain uh, like theories about who hates who in the royal family even again even like making fun of his brother like it almost feels like the press is winning in a way like they got more out of him than they deserve. Yeah. And there's always these questions about, is this going to take down the monarchy and whatever? And it's like, it's not, he's not even, he's not even on that tip. You know, no. it doesn't even seem like he wants to destroy the monarchy. And you know what? You should. 
But right. um, the weird part about this book is that, you know, the whole narrative or circling him, Megan, has been about, you know, like the media and avoiding, you know, like the racism there, et cetera. And um, then this book is sort of like, well, maybe you need to read um, – a little anti-racism um, <laughs> book list, Harry. I mean, there's the it's been talked about, obviously, but the part what he's talking about, you know, like being in Afghanistan, you know, and talking about like killing people and calling like the, the people that he killed their chess pieces, you know, and not really sort of understanding, you know, how um, the U.S. and like Europe, you know, sort of like destabilized that country um, and Europe just sort of destabilized a lot of Africa in general. Um, it's just sort of read a book. I don't know. Like, did, like, did he take no courses in school? It's just like the understanding is not there. He comes across kind of dumb, you know, like saying things like there's this passage where someone's like, well, you were born in the UK or something, but you know, like your heart is in Africa. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> shut the ba- fuck up. Back to Madonna. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I think something that kind of prevents me from really digging into Prince Harry is someone like Princess Diana really wrapped herself in with pop culture. I think a better example is Grace Kelly. She was royalty, but there was always this stronger tie to other things in actual entertainment that like mm-hmm. kept you kind of comp- – it was just another – you know, we need intrigue when we look at like a, a megastar or like a, specifically a really great actor. And royalty was sort of this other brand she had. And obviously she did give up movie making to become an actress. But historically, when I think about, you know, her moving to Monaco, marrying Prince Rainier, uh, you know, her tragic death in Monaco, et cetera, that's all something that just kind of bubbles under the surface when I'm watching her movies. And so it's just like a fun sort of, like fanboy golden age of Hollywood place to live in mentally for me. Whereas mm-hmm. with Harry, I'm sort of like, I just don't know what any of this is supposed to do for me other than I do think Meghan Markle is an interesting person. I like when people are like, did she have Beyonce's permission to share that text with the entire world? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm fascinated that she chose to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I've, what's funny is in any other celebrity, it would have been like, um, Oh, yeah, you know, like, they're fine with Meghan Markle sharing that. Sharing a text from Beyonce, I don't know about that. No, because, I mean, the Beyonce <laughs> security situation is, like, four foreign oxes deep, so. <laughs> um, You brought up Gase Kelly, by the way, and, you know, thinking about um, Elton doing, you know, Candle in the Wind, yes. Diana's version. Mika made Grace Kelly's song. Um, right. Who oh, I remember 2007. Would, I was there. Who do you think would make the posthumous um, Meghan Markle song? Oh, wow. So this is going to be quite a few years from now. Yeah. Uh, who, who, who do... Oh, gosh. It has to be a kind of balladeer. Well, Adele, do you have it in you? It has to be a UK personality. Mm-hmm. But like someone, you know, someone probably like... Maybe that person's not even around yet because, you know, um, we're, you know... I think that fleeing from the monarchy means that um, Megan isn't going to befall a um, death in a tunnel. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you <laughs> a know mysterious what? Mysterious death. I, I think something needs to be pointed out about "Candle in the Wind," which is it is also one of the gayest songs of all time. You know, it's just a guy, a gay guy, you know, with his portrait of uh, his favorite celebrity 
waxing philosophical about what her death means. And so mm. maybe it has to be, you know, like Troy Sivan, I, I don't I don't know how familiar you, you are Lloyd. with the monarchy. It'll be yes. Cher Lloyd. <laughs> Cher Lloyd. <laughs> wow. I haven't thought of Cher Lloyd in a minute. Um, <laughs> I am always thinking of Cher Lloyd. Um, in fact, Elton John has several, like pre his coming out, just really gay choices. It just astounds you. Like we have such, you know, vivid vocabulary about what it means to be gay, how gay men express themselves now. And people just didn't have a clue when he wrote like Philadelphia pre- freedom about how rad Billie Jean King is or uh, uh, the bitch is back about how he, the bitch is back. Like people just weren't <laughs> thinking. <laughs> I I have brought this up on the show before. If you haven't listened to Wrap Her Up recently, which is his duet with George Michael in the mid-80s, and also featured on the track is Cocaine, because these girls are wilding out. They are are rapping, basically, about actresses of the golden age, like Vivian Lee comes up, Marlena Dietrich, all these models, and they keep saying, talking about how they want to wrap her up, which is like, it kind of sounds like, oh, we want to sleep with these hot women, but as you know, it's Elton John and George Michaels. So guess what wasn't happening? That. They want to take her on an 80s fashion montage is what yeah. they want. Okay. <laughs> right. They're like mahogany baby. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, Cher's, they're Cher's boyfriend in Clueless. Yes. They are exactly that. <laughs> Christian. Yes. Who just wants things to be beautiful and interesting. One of my um, favorite lines in the movie. You know that Theo James said that he would love to play George Michael. Which makes sense. I mean, well, the haircut's there and the yeah. eyes are there. I wonder if he's a little past the age when he would play George Michael sort of in his prime. But right. if, if we're getting uh, older era, if we're getting busted at the latrine era, sure. That's the era I want to see, to be yeah. honest. You know, I don't I, get to see all that wham shit, okay? I want to see George Michael being a whore. We are going to get that movie. I don't think that's like... Um, <laughs> I don't think we're reaching for the stars there. Also, I just want to say about George Michael quickly. That video he made outside after the scandal where there's like the spinning urinals. So fucking good. He really was like one bad bitch. Uh, I mean, listen, we just hope that Anthony McCartan stays far away from that script. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Though, as you know, I defend I want to dance with somebody. I don't know if I love the script of it, but I, I love certain tasteful choices he made in there. Now, also, Bohemian Rhapsody, as you know, was a movie about four large teeth. And <laughs> that I have to disagree with. You know, it would also just be called Outside, the George Michael story. Great. All right. Intriguing. Yeah. Um, also, going back to, I, w- I was Googling Grace Kelly when, you were t- when we were talking about um, her. And um, I didn't know that she died in a car crash, too. In 1982, yes, I believe her death was on the first issue cover of USA Today. Her, Diana, car crashes, what's going on? I don't know. Well, and of course, the extra irony with Grace Kelly is, if you've ever seen To Catch a Thief, her uh, the Hitchcock movie with Cary Grant, yes. she is driving in Monaco in it, and it's some of the very streets she was driving on when she uh, passed away. So, But think- also, by the way, Princess Stephanie... That's somebody, a name that has long been forgotten and people need to look up. She was a fascinating royal. Do you think the queen, who I still believe killed Diana? Sure. Um, do you think she was like she got that USA Today? Like it came <laughs> to the castle and she was reading it and like kept like it in, in my mind, I'm imagining a thriller where um, Charles or um, Harry, like as a kid or something, like is checking. Um, 
checking Granny's um, room, her boudoir, and there's sort of this um, old, tattered copy of the USA Today about Grace Kelly's death. And it's like, that's how she did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like circled in red. Yeah. Real real Rebecca situation. He's like searching the corridors and finding traces of yeah. Granny, of course, being the Judith Anderson, Mrs. Danvers in this situation. I did not watch the last Rebecca because I heard it was garbage. But um passable. I mean, Lily James was really good at it, and I did not mm. come in expecting to be rooting for her. She did a great job. Kristen Scott Thomas, less so, but fine, a B. But I love like a Rebecca type film about Harry, Meghan, and Diana. Well, it sounds like they lived it. I mean, here yeah. they are in this like <laughs> old estate, wondering what the wh- why they're there, basically how they belong, and just haunted by people who do nothing but you know stroll the corridors all day there. Can I say also that um, the end of the book references the title? And um, because he's the spare heir, yes, yeah. So the the phrase "spare" comes from you know, like there's the heir and the spare. You know, like the the other kids, you know, who are like their life could be, you know, the, like the the Margarets. You know, like the you're not supposed to take the throne, but you're in the line of succession. You know, um, the book ends with um, she jotted down some notes. In a kind of journal, which she shared, I read them as a love poem. I read them as a testament, a renewal of our vows. I read them as a citation, a remembrance, a proclamation. I read them as a decree. She said, that was everything. She said, that is a man. My love, she said, that is not a spare. Nearly a poem. Okay, yeah. Come on, Tender Bar. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is just that is that is writing. I really uh, am curious what the fuck these two are going to do next. Like, what is again? If, if now that they're apart from the thing, the reason we know them, where can they go next that involves us in who they are? Like, do they do they do, they do uh, the simple life and join society in some televised way? I know, like there never are like this. Uh, the, da- the Daily Mail is always just writing. And they were like, has this book damaged, you know, um, their potential future in Hollywood? I'm like, no. They're famous. It's a massively popular book. It's a massively popular book. Yeah. And, you know, all the stuff that he wrote about, like, killing people in the war, you know, like, Americans don't care about that. Actually, war gets us horny. Right. It's it's a fun game for the big fun men whom we Um, I wish. I hope they do something exciting, though, because, like, I'm not listening to that podcast. I know, I know. I, I just, I can't imagine a hot take they would have, nor namely Harry would have, that would, you know, inspire me to keep listening. Though, of course, I don't understand podcasts altogether. I listen to Sirius XM and Yacht Rock Radio. <laughs> How do they play Christopher Cross eight times a day when he has four songs? I want to know. A lot of Steely Dan. Oh, you've got that right, bitch. Woof. Uh, what's your favorite Steely Dan song? Used to be, um, did, uh, do it again, and now it's um, Brooklyn, which is a, a track off "Can't Buy a Thrill." Okay, I think mine is like, I think mine is like um, "Dirty Work." Oh, great! No, they're all they're all music you you're dancing to while you're wearing cufflinks right on the yacht. 
I'm looking forward to having like a yacht moment this summer and just really just vibing. Steely Dan, tennis, hauling outs. It's what I need. Christine only Fleetwood Mac. As you know, I believe Christine is the definitive <laughs> female yacht rock entertainer. <laughs> She's yacht rock and Stevie's sort of like um I feel like I feel like Stevie's giving pots and pans smashing. She's a precursor to like um hyper pop Charlie yes. MCX. You know, right, there's right, a lot right. of it's a lot of door slamming, a lot of a lot of coke snorting, a lot of a lot of things about the weather. There's always some thundering or something going on, which is right. ironic because, you know. Thunder only happens when it's raining. Christine wrote that one. No, she, she did not. Oh, that was a oh, Stevie, Stevie song. Okay, yes. actually, I was right. Okay, which makes sense. You know, thunder only happens when it's raining. So, right. and as you know, yeah. her meteorology degree came into yes effect yes. there. Thank you so much, Stevie. I just imagine Stevie Nicks walking into the room whenever they were recording anything, and it was always probably like. 20 minutes before Stevie would stop um, talking about what was going on in her life. It's like, no. okay, oh, girl, yes. are you ready? Right. No, because they, of course, they set up all the candelabras for her and all the draperies that she needed. So she's storming around, mo- moaning Lindsay's name, hands in the, in the sky. And Christine's like, can we just sing this melody and move it along? <laughs> Not a bad Christine. Uh, no, that sorry. was a really. Not a bad Christine impression, I have to that say. That was a really good impression. You should do more impressions. I know. I, I, you know, my, at heart, I want to be one of those Animaniacs people like Tress McNeil, who does like 70 voices. But I, I mean, you listen, know. you're already doing Buster Keaton work on Jimmy Kimmel. That's right. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Which also, you got to see my new pop queen in rehearsals. Renee Sabrina Rapp. Carpenter. Oh, so Sabrina Carpenter was there. And oh my God, did she inspire a following? It was almost frightening. I'm obsessed with her now. Like the 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 last, you know, third of the um Josh Bassett, Olivia Rodrigo triangle. But like this random song of hers, nonsense, obsessed. Okay, I'm gonna listen to it right after this. She really seemed like the third most important person in that triangle for a while with her, Joshua Bassett, and Olivia Rodrigo. And I'm happy to say she's rising to second. Yeah. All right, well, <laughs> I think we said enough about Prince Harry's book. I think we expressed how interesting he is. We're respectful to that and then moved on to more, you know, pressing things. Uh, all right, when we're back, I'm going to engage with Meredith Marks from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City while Lewis sits it out. <laughs> Lewis, you're going to miss all your pressing Housewives questions. I'm like Zoe on Zoom, who was allergic to latex, so she couldn't do any of the balloon games. That's me. <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life you turn to Barefoot Dreams especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary with those 30 years of coziness Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket and while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets robes and more Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated so don't believe the dupes girl this blanket is it. I 
effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue Panting, you're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Black Stories, Black Truths. It's a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. I am very excited to engage with the queen of disengaging herself, (laughs) an OG of the SLC. Please welcome Meredith Marks to keep it. Well, thank you for having me. And today I am engaging, not (laughs) disengaging at all. Um, it's great to see you. Um, I've, I famously, I've saw, I've met you once before, um, in New York city, um, during the period where I feel like after season one, um, everyone from your cast, um, discovered like all of the, um, hot, like parties that were going on in New York and you would pop up at all of them. Um, so I would see like you, <laughs> I'd see Whitney, Jen at them, uh, Lisa would pop up at them. I was like, who was letting you all know about like Ty Sunderland parties in New York City? <laughs> well, you know, for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I've probably, I spend less time in New York now than I used to, you know, I used to spend 35, 40% of my time. So 
that was just normal stuff for me. I, I'm at a lot of parties in New York. <laughs> I, I can't answer for anyone else. I have no idea. But, you know, for me, I mean, I know Jen was living in New York for a while as well. I mean, not living, mm. but spending a very large amount of time. And as far as, you know, Lisa or Whitney go, I have no idea. Can't answer mm. that. <laughs> um. So let's talk a bit about just in general, being on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. You know, I feel like we've seen so many iterations of Real Housewives and that I remember, you know, when this show started, it really just sort of clicked. Like, everyone was talking. I remember watching the premiere um, and saying, this show is wild and I'm obsessed. And I feel like it was sort of a runaway hit immediately. Um, how are you sort of approached to be on the series? Had you watched Housewives before? Did you have any trepidation about sharing your life in this way? And then how did that change once you saw um, the first season airing? So a long time before we ever started, you know, season one, it, it was probably like a year and a half. I don't know. It was a long time before. I got a text message um, from a friend of mine who owns my favorite restaurant in Park City, Handel. Um, and it was both to me and to Lisa together. And she just said, you know, my husband's college friend is a producer in LA and they're, you know, they're looking to do a show in Utah. Would you talk to them? And I didn't know I was being cast. I thought it was just because I own a store on Main Street. You know, let's chat and see what happens. And that's probably what the approach really was. You know, they were just trying to feel things out. And so I did. And that's how it kind of all started. And once I realized that I was being cast and once I realized it was Housewives, um, no, I had never watched. Uh -huh. And um, uh, I went and watched because everyone was like, every, every city is so different, which I now realize is very true. <laughs> um, you know, so I went back and I thought, well, I'll just watch one episode from every city. So I get a flavor for it because I don't know what my city is going to be like. And, you know, yes, it gave me a flavor, but it was a big mistake because I didn't understand like a whole <laughs> season and a story arc and all this other stuff that, you know, comes along with any kind of television show, you know, it's not just like these isolated little moments, which is what I saw, you know? And, um, I mean, that's just not realistic in life in TV and anything, you know, it's like, obviously things aren't in isolation. So that was my big boo-boo. Um, <laughs> but in a, in a weird way, I actually think it was really good for me because, um, you know, I, I, I think that when you, don't have any kind of preconceived notions in your mind of what you're stepping into, what you're doing. You don't see yourself like fulfilling these, these roles or anything like that. You're just doing your thing, you know? And I think it was actually really positive and I've sort of cut back on watching because I, I think it's better for me not to, you know, you don't get seeds planted. Mm -hmm. Do you remember which ones you if you watched a bit of every um housewives city do you remember like any highlights from something you did watch before you started i mean you know i was like all of this seems relatively benign it's like little <laughs> you know piddly arguments you know i'm like this is not a big deal i said the only thing that really was a big deal is somebody accused someone else of doing coke i mean why would you ever <laughs> do something like that i you know da 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 and like to me i thought that was such a big deal and now i'm like 
<laughs> the accusations fly left to right and center, and you're just like, ah, who cares? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, it was like, it was funny. I mean, I had no clue. No clue. Um, what has your um relationship with your family sort of been like since being on TV? You know, because I know that during season one, you know, you were initially, you know, a lot of your um arguments, you know, stemming with Jen were coming from, you know, how she was talking about Brooks online. And so, like, how has he adjusted to, um, I guess, being on TV and now, you know, launching his um, fashion company? And also, by the way, I got this at BravoCon, a Brooks Marks hat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, it was a little bit of a journey for Brooks. I don't think any of us expected I like I said I had literally no idea what, what I was really getting into literally none and especially like on the social media side I didn't even know all this stuff existed like all these fan accounts all, all this like housewives twitter like all of that <laughs> I had zero clue and even my kids who like did watch some housewives I mean they didn't watch all of them but they did watch some they didn't really know about that even some of my close friends who are very avid fans were shocked by all of that like it's a whole world it's a whole ecosystem <laughs> yeah it's wild it's so wild and so we had like no expectation of, of any of that like I didn't even think that my kids would get much attention from it you know i thought maybe you know from their friends or whatever but i didn't I, I had zero clue um so it was definitely surprising it was a lot to navigate you know at the time um it was a lot for brooks as he was you know figuring out things in his own world himself and um so it was really really tough that first like i don't know a few months i guess basically the first season of airing was really rough um and it, it, it took a moment and it takes time to to get thick skin to realize that one person's tweet is not going to change your life <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's one person you know and even if you have 500 people saying the same thing who cares i'm living mm -hmm. my life i know my truth brooks knows his truth whatever anyone wants to say they can say you know and mm -hmm. we move on. It just, it's, it's just, it's not that deep at the end of the day. You know, it's just, it's hard to adjust and get to that point. Mm -hmm. So it took a moment, but he's great. He's doing really well. He's, you know, working on his brand and um, he graduated from NYU and he's just, he's really growing up and moving forward. And it's incredible. I'm really, really, really happy for him. He's in a great space now. Well, congrats on having a kid who went to NYU, because I did as well. So I love <laughs> anyone who's gone to NYU. <laughs> well, congrats to you, too. It's such a great school. It yeah. really is. Um, you know, I joked about the disengaging earlier, and that became, you know, like a catchphrase in season one for you. What would you say that, you know, you learned from that season to sort of where you are now? Because that was, you know, that was a funny moment, but, you know, it also, you know, the response from people watching it also seemed like you were pulling back from some of the conflict that people wanted to see on the show. Did you make a conscious decision like in season two and then season three going forward to engage in maybe things that you realize that now you sort of had to do to make a TV show happen? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, so I do honestly think like there, 
you know, look, you saw my journey with Seth. We have been through extensive couples therapy. And and the first thing that you're taught is when the conflict gets heightened to a level where you know that it's just, you're not going to get resolved. And it's just, you're going to say things that are nasty that you don't even mean. And the other person will too. It's best to step back and disengage as I like to call it. <laughs> um, but and so, you know, that was something that for me was just very realistic. Like there is no, why, why would I engage in some of this stuff? And especially when there's a lot of alcohol involved and, you know, things get, go a little haywire. So, you know, I thought that that was actually very mature of me. And I could say some of my later behavior was a bit more immature. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I've mixed feelings. Like, in some sense, when people think that you're just going to disengage, they feel that they have free reign to kind of just pick at you and attack you and this, that, and the other, because they're like, well, she's not going to bother. And, and that's really wrong. And that's a lot of what happened, especially, you know, and, and, um, when you saw what happened, like with my father's memorial and Zion, I mean, that's still to this day is extremely painful for me. What went on, you know, that being weaponized against me was just cruel. And, um, I realized that in some of these circumstances, I have to fight back because if I don't, they'll just, you know, you, you've seen all this stuff. Like yeah. they say whatever they want. They say it like it's a truth. And I'm like, wait a second. That's just, you can't say this stuff about me. It's not true. Or, or you can't pick at me. You know, you can't, I'm a very strong person. And, um, you know, going after someone's dead father, that's cruel. It's disgusting. And I'm not going to allow it, you know? So, there are certain things that I feel that I had to do that maybe I am not proud of, but I understand why I made those choices that I made. And, you know, perhaps some of the other women should learn to lead with kindness and I wouldn't need to engage at all. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, not not to even bring that up, but to take that to season three, um, one of the things that we noticed, you know, going into the reunion and watching this season, there are a lot of clips in sort of this season that, um, that were in the trailer that didn't end up in the actual show. <clears throat> and one of them seemed to be you having a conversation with Whitney in the finale. Um, and we'd seen it in the trailer and we weren't expecting it. And it sort of seemed really interesting, if only because you know, you have the conflict about the funeral in season two. Um, and then going into season three, it seemed like you were both back and forth in a good place, not in a good place. And so could you enlighten us as to sort of what that disagreement was about in the finale that we didn't get to see? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think you saw a little bit at our, our season two reunion of, of Whitney, um, and honestly, I'm not sure what, what you saw or didn't, cause I don't remember what was shown and what wasn't, yeah. but the clip was um, the, um, I feel like no, I was no, playing. I, I know what oh, yeah, that talking one. Okay, about. Yeah. I'm talking, I'm saying from, from season two reunion, oh, okay. Whitney's whole thing. When we were in Zion, she came after my father's memorial to my face more than mm. anybody else. Maybe not behind my back, behind my back. There were definitely other players involved, but to my face, she kept coming at me. And, um, and I couldn't understand why she was being so mean. Like, I, I was like, what is going on? Like, I thought we were fine. Like, I, I, I thought we were friends. Like, 
you just don't do that to your friend. And I, and I couldn't understand it. And afterwards, she had explained to me that, you know, Lisa had started all this confusion, which we all did see with her and Heather. She had the date wrong. And she did start all this confusion regarding my father's memorial. And Whitney was trying to explain to me, look, this woman is saying to you, she's your, your sister, your friend of 10 years, and she's behind your back stirring up all this drama about your father's memorial and then trying to wipe her hands clean and saying, I didn't do it. I didn't have anything to do with it. And you need to know that your friend of 10 years is really just a total piece of shit and she's not your friend. And that's what Whitney said to me. And so I very easily forgave Whitney for her bad behavior because I thought, okay, well, you know, she said she was drunk and just, it was a bad delivery, but she was trying to give me another message. And I said, well, I'll see what happens. And I waited and I watched and I saw, and I did see that Lisa did actually start the confusion by having the dates wrong and whatever else. And so I thought, okay, fine. And then we fast forward. And now all of a sudden we're in Arizona and Whitney is trying to say, I said things I did not say, you know, yes, I said there were rumors and I didn't believe them. That was all I said. She went into gross detail of a multitude of stories, way more than what you saw on and on and on that and purported these things to be truths. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I heard these rumors too. And I didn't believe them either. It was, let me give you very clear detail on everything. And I believe it's true. And, um, and I, even during that conversation said, Whitney, some of this sounds absolutely preposterous. Like I cast doubt on the stuff she was saying. And then we fast forward to Arizona and she's busy trying to point fingers at me and make me responsible for that. And it just saying that there are rumors out there and I don't believe them, but maybe there's a bigger problem. And Lisa actually needs my help is a very different thing than saying she traded sex for loans to her company. Like totally different thing. Okay. (laughs) Very different. And, um, and I apologized on the spot to Lisa about it in Arizona. I also texted her an apology when it aired. Um, you know, because I, I felt bad that her feelings were hurt by it. I did. I really did feel badly that I hurt her feelings because clearly I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so the problem came in for me that Whitney had told me that we were really friends that she had gone after my father that way to show me that Lisa was such a horrible friend, yet she threw me under the bus and her cousin under the bus and Angie Harrington under the bus on a quest to befriend this absolute piece of shit friend. Mm -hmm. That's where we had a big problem. And I thought, well, what are your motives here? Are your motives here that you really just want to be Lisa's friend so badly that you just don't care about anyone else? Are your motives here that you feel really guilty about your poor behaviors? You're trying to project it onto others Are your motives here really that you're still have a problem with Lisa? You're befriending her to actually take her down too. I didn't know. I I, I don't know. And to this day, it doesn't add up. Her behavior didn't make any sense to me last winter at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, speaking then of the entire Lisa situation, I want to ask one, it must be hard one, having a falling out with someone you've known for 10 years, you know, I mean, I've recently gone through something similar. I think many people are used to something like that, and it's probably harder on television. I would like to ask, do you feel as if you would have been able to forgive Lisa's rant if you hadn't been pressured to 
apologize or sort of get over it so quickly? Do you think that like going back into filming and having to be around her again, like sort of hindered a natural healing process? Yes and no. Um, (laughs) You know, yes, I do think that what people don't recognize is that literally I saw this like, you know, and a few weeks later, we're moving on, you know, whatever. Um, So, yeah, that was a a bit daunting. Um, I did forgive her in Arizona. And and you like we all know we only see snippets, but you Mm -hmm. saw we hugged you saw. I mean, at the dinner with her and Whitney and Heather, she was really upset, like, because I I know what it felt like to her every time somebody would talk about those rumors, she she felt it was giving life to it. And it was like very, very upsetting. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I comforted her. I was like, you know, I was, we were like, fine. And was it normal and like it was before? No, because quite frankly, before her childish tantrum, I had a million and one red flags that Lisa was not really my friend. Mm-hmm. And I kept giving her the benefit of the doubt over and over and over and over and over again. But I asked her over and over and over again, I feel hostility. Is something wrong? I feel something's off. Are we good? What's going on? Da, 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 da. And every single time, and even at her own Vita party after her tantrum, her answer was the same. Every single time, we are good. We are good. If you feel hostility, it's coming from you. And this was after she had her tantrum too. She Mm. said that at her own Vita party, she said those exact words to me. And I was just like, wow, that seems like gaslighting 101, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like crazy. It's me, not her. No, honey, it's you. You have a problem with me clearly. And I've sensed it and felt it for over a year. And I had asked her repeatedly. And so, um, and it's not just sensed it. There were little underhanded things that were going on. And I kept saying, no, 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 either I'm getting misinformation or I'm not understanding her intentions. Or I, I repeatedly gave her the benefit of the doubt, repeatedly. And so then, you know, she has this tantrum. I forgave it in Arizona. I think we're moving forward. And some other things occurred that I think you'll find out about at reunion. Mm-hmm. So think- I was moving on, yeah. but she wasn't. And every, if you notice, after Arizona... of the times that that rant is ever mentioned again, it's not me bringing it up. I just answer, but I don't bring it up because that wasn't the issue Mm -hmm. anymore. I mean, it was part of the issue, but (laughs) I moved on. Like I moved on, you know? Yes, of course I'm going to be wary and I'm not going to dive in head first and trust you immediately tomorrow. But my thing was, you know, let's move forward. You're not really giving me any, I don't understand why this happened because I said you had shitty renovations, which I never said, cause I never even saw her finished house. She doesn't really invite people over. I've been to her house, I think twice in the 10 years I've known her. Um, so it wasn't that because I didn't say it. I never saw the completed home. I couldn't have mm-hmm. commented on her renovations and you know, I, I don't really know what it was. I asked her a hundred times and she told me there was no problem. So and we all saw that I asked her every time she said I didn't support her She at season two reunion. She acknowledged that I did, in fact, support her. So, no, I don't really understand where it came from, but that was okay. I didn't understand where it came from. I didn't understand why it wouldn't happen again because she refused to give me any real reassurance when I asked her what she was willing to do to change her behaviors. 
And, but I just went on. I was like, all right, well, time will tell her actions will show me. And she took actions, which showed me not my friend. No, That's okay. How does it feel having like, even, even with the forgiving and getting over the rant itself, you know, it taking on a life of its own to moments where it's like Ray finds, you know, doing the monologue, um, in the clubhouse with Andy Cohen. You know, I don't care. I mean, that was actually very entertaining. Um, you know, her Lisa's tantrum says a lot more about Lisa than it does about, you know, there's no truth to anything in her tantrum. So I really don't care about that. Um, it, it shows exactly what happened. She'll, she'll get a glimpse of a little something, you know, she'll hear, Oh, um, Meredith and Seth dated other people when they were separated. Now she's a whore who fucked half of New York. And that's what Lisa does. She takes a little piece of information that, and by the way, may not even be true, you know, like she did with her, you'll see in reunion two with her pill popping comment. She hears a little piece of a rumor and takes it and amplifies it to something that it was not to begin with and says it as if it's a truth, you know? And a lot of it is projection. A lot of it is the same kind of rumors I hear about her. So there's as much truth to these things about her as there is about me. I've heard these same rumors about her. All of them, every single one of them that she said about everyone else, I have heard in some capacity about her. So it's just as much truth about her if she wants to give credence to rumors and, and make them a million times worse than what she even hears. It's who she is. Would you say that conversations like this and rumors and things like were heightened in your life once you all became, you know, on a national spotlight? Did you feel like more people wanted to tell you things about the other women or were talking about your life more? Of course, of course. And that's why I don't believe it. And that's why I say the rumors and I don't believe them, you know, and that's a very big difference. There's a very big difference from saying I've heard rumors. I don't believe it, but maybe there's a bigger problem going on. Maybe my friend needs my help. Then I hear a rumor and I am now suddenly going to make it 10 times worse than it is and say it as if it's a fact and a truth. That's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say there is nothing, I have not spread rumors. I've said I've heard rumors and that I didn't believe them. There is a very big difference from that. The SEC filing is a fact, like it's a public legal document. And sorry, there's, I talk about SEC filings every day. I trade. Stuff. <laughs> it, should be, it should not be a big deal. If you want to be big business, you should not, you should be happy. People are talking about your SEC filing. If you really want to be big, big business, otherwise stay small potatoes. Not my problem. Of course. Um, and, you know, in the talk of forgiveness and everything, too, I guess the other big question, you know, everyone sort of had is, you know, in season two, um, you were very um, just sort of it seemed like happy that Jen was sort of getting a little bit of a comeuppance, you know, um, or leading up to that trial, you know, the bathtub moment, et cetera. And then in season three, um, you were very close to her and even on the team with Heather, you know, who had at least traveled to New York to be there with her. Um, How did you get to a place of forgiveness with her? I want to know. And, you know, just sort of how do you feel rewatching that scene now, knowing literally what was occurring while you were, you know, there to support her? It's really, it's very hard. Um, I mean, first of all, 
it's interesting to me that people think I'm like not a forgiving person because obviously I am like, Mm -hmm. how did I figure out how to forgive and move forward with Jen? Jen took accountability for her actions. Number one. Okay. I didn't hear a bunch of excuses and this, that, well, I did at first, but she did take (laughs) accountability. She did apologize. She did take the time to sit down and meet with Brooks to apologize to him. Um, you know, which to me meant a lot. She was very, very, very aggressive in making sure that meeting happened. You know, it wasn't just like she, it was important to her and that made it important to me. Um, so that was a big thing right there. And so we kind of, you know, then I lost my own father and it made it a, a lot easier to understand some of the struggles she had. She also was very forthcoming with, you know, her struggles with her own mental health, which also allowed me to have, give a lot more room, you know, to somebody because when you, when someone's honest about another problem in their life, it makes it very easy to say, okay, I understand why they did that. It wasn't really against me. They have other things going on, you know, and that's what I was looking for with Lisa was like, is there something bigger going on so that I can feel like this wasn't really an attack on, on me and my family and everybody. And that's what I was trying to discover. It didn't go that way, but whatever. So then you'll, you will find out more about this at reunion. So I'm not going to spoil that, but there were things that I learned very early on um, last winter in January that um almost made it impossible for me not to support Jen. And just given everything I, you know, was dealing with and everything else that went on, there were just so many more connections, you know, and then we connected. I mean, we connected on a lot of things. Like, like we all know these are snippets you don't see every moment, Mm. but you know, we connected with a lot of the stuff that went down with Jenny. We connected, you know, with um, just, I, 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 finally understood Jen and how she communicates and and a lot of the backstory of why and a lot of it was triggers for her and I didn't get that before and once I understood it I was able to sit down with her and usually calm her down and 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 get her and say Jen I hear you but you know you making this accusation is not what you're really trying to say. You're trying to say you're triggering things from my past and it's upsetting me. And instead, you know, you're so upset that you're not verbalizing it. And she was like, you're right, help me, you know? And so that's, we really did, I really did get to connect on that level. And then, you know, obviously going to New York and seeing what I saw and and whatever else, it's it's very hard to, you know, knowing what we all know now, it's hard to digest. And But I do think there's truth to the statement she made in court was just that she was, you know, embarrassed and didn't want to own her actions because it was just so such a hard pill to swallow. And, you know, it's I mean, this whole situation is absolutely sad. You know, it's horrible, obviously, for the victims. The victims were always there, though, you know, and that's a lot. I think the audience feels a lot of like why aren't we talking more about the victims and this, that, and the other? And, and that's a fair question, but the reality is no one ever doubted that the victims were there. There was never a denial of these victims. It was only, was Jen involved? What was her knowledge? Did she know what was going on? And so that's why there wasn't that much conversation because we all felt felt for the victims, regardless of Jen's involvement. You know, there's nobody 
in our circle that would say they didn't feel for those victims. Nobody, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think you could have gotten her off if you were defending her in court? <laughs> I wouldn't count on me for that. Okay, I, I I I barely ever practiced law at all, and I certainly did not practice criminal law. So that would be to her detriment. <laughs> uh, um. Lastly, is Mary Cosby still wandering around Salt Lake? Have Has anyone seen her? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I talked to Mary last week. Um, you know, I, I, we, we text, I don't know, probably once a month or so, you know, I like to check in on her, see how she's doing. I mean, Mary makes me smile. She makes me laugh. She's funny. She's very funny. Funny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, hopefully we get her back. I don't know. We'd love to see her back. We'd love to see her back. And, um, lastly, I'm going to Park City soon with a group of, like, gay friends for, like, a weekend. What restaurant, like, do I need to visit? Well, for sure, Handel. Okay. Um, that is, like, the impetus of our show. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Without <laughs> Handel, we might not have had our show, right? Um, so, for sure, Handel. Uh, my friends just opened a new restaurant where Chamayo used to be. I'm, I'm hoping to go, I think, on Thursday. And I'm, oh my gosh, the name is, I want to say it's pine cone. It's mm-hmm. pine something. They're going to kill me. Oh my gosh. I haven't been <laughs> yet. That's the only reason I can't remember, but I'm dying to try it brand new. Um, it's Bill White. He owns like several restaurants in town, seven or eight. So that's wonderful too. I mean, I'm guessing it should be wonderful. All of this stuff is great. Um, for sure. Handle that firewood is really good. Um, Yukiyama for sushi. I mean, we have, our fair share. And then of course, you know, all the hotels have great. I'm at, I'm at the montage. Now the food here is always great. Stein Erickson, Goldner Hirsch has excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, great. One of my favorites too. Apparently it's the only place you can find Vita in park city. So (laughs) (laughs) we're trying to find it to see if it's good. Have you, do you like it? Well, you know, I I really am not drinking much tequila these days because it's not agreeing with my acidity <laughs> and my levels. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's it's good. I have no, I have nothing negative. It's just not what I'm doing right th- right now. It's not. It's <laughs> nothing. No knock on Vita. No knock on Lisa. I just have acidity, and it's not working for me these days. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Merida. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun to chat with you. Yeah. You can watch the first part of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Reunion when it airs next week on Bravo or the next morning on Peacock. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. This was so fun. Yeah, you too. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. 
Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. All right, Lewis, now that we've had a couple weeks to get settled into 2023... I feel like it's time for us to say definitively what trends and tropes can be left in last year. This is our in and out list of 2023. My first in, I'm pretty certain about this. And of course, it comes in waves over the years. And you can always expect some form of it. But I think it's going to culminate here. Is horny gay Super Mario Brothers memes? Because we're getting that movie this year. And I'm telling you something. (laughs) People are really amped. And I feel like the movie is going to hit. And I feel like you're just going to get, you know, way more of the thirsty Waluigi content that you thought was maybe five years ago. But it's going to come back. Because something about Mario is... What is the brand of Mario? It's cartoonish, but it's also about power-ups. It's also about, like, invincibility. So there's a... It's, like, cartoonish and cokey. And they're also men with huge butts so it's like horny too anyway i feel like the original donkey kong is more horny because you've got you know like mario over those barrels to get up to him and uh-huh. donkey kong was looks hot yeah <laughs> oh no yeah the original donkey kong is set at the eagle in new york Don- donkey kong <laughs> is standing on the top layer throwing <laughs> barrels down and you're just trying to weave your way up to the roof where you know alan cumming is hanging out you know what tribe they need to add on gay apps? Okay, I'm I'm tired of bears. Okay, where where are Kongs? Yes, Donkey Kongs and Donkey Kong Juniors. You know, there's yeah. mid-sized gorillas too. <laughs> what are what's your first in of the year? My first in of the year is, and I've said this online already, but uh, I'm having a Criterion year. Oh sure, yeah, I bought two Criterions. Last night, I bought All About My Mother and I bought All About Eve. Um, as I mentioned weeks ago, was were in my um, top 10 movies ever. But I just feel like I'm really devoted to this sort of, um, one, physical media. Definitely. Two, um, I like displaying like my cultural tastes, you know, apart, around my apartment. And, you know, when you just have books, you know, that's part of an aspect of my life but like we're movie and tv people you know definitely so like yes. i i like the idea of some of my favorite films now being on display in a way that they used to be well like growing up you know you'd always have like the films that your parents loved are like right there by the tv constantly it's like they never moved so totally you know this I is my wish- version of jagged edge 
Yeah. <laughs> which oh, my grandmother, right. it was always next to the TV set, Jagged Edge and like G.I. Jane. Uh, a minor Glenn Close smash. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yes, I do think there's something annoying about the fact that if you're a movie person, you want to display that you're a movie loving person. Your choices are like movie, giant movie poster. Um, my compromise is I have simply giant portraits I've found off like bootleg <laughs> sites that are probably illegal. <laughs> or you have like DVDs, which you can kind of see, you know, criterion collection type stuff. It does feel like there should be a mid-size option that, you know, sort of satisfies the size of a book thing. I, 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 I recommend um, if people are into displaying their movie lovingness, looking up lobby cards on Amazon, mm. which are like, you know, like just eight by 11s or whatever. But if you, you know, display, display a bunch of them at once, I think it's really striking. I have a bunch of lobby cards for a movie called Pretty Poison with um, Anthony Perkins and uh, Tuesday Weld. I have ones of Boys in the Band. Uh, yeah, that's just like, that, that's sort of an intro. And, and they look like old Hollywood. So I'm also a fan of the, um, like the large coffee table books. Like I just got a Wong Kar Wai one, you know, and mm. then just like the, the PTA one that just came out recently, you know, like I have an Almodovar one. So stuff like that, where it's like the director's there, you can flip through it and see the gorgeous images like of their films. Yeah. Uh, I just got a French Videodrome poster. I've never seen Videodrome. Every time I watch a Cronenberg movie, my question is just, what the fuck is wrong with this man? <laughs> it's, I watched it for the first time this year and it is, it's, it's still with me. Okay, that's how I feel. Right, that's how his movies are. Like, Dead Ringers is always, like, kind of lingering in my mind. Like, oh, that's too much blood for a movie. I just can't watch it. Um, but what a great fucking performance in Dead Ringers, by the way. From oh, um, my dad, Jer. Jeremy Irons. You know, Videodrome, unfortunately, stars that ghoul James Woods. Oh, tr- uh, we've talked about this before, but he might be uh, among, like, actors who are the worst. Like, I think he's more talented than... John Voight. Like, I think Mm -hmm. he's, like, that good and yet also that horrible. Like, the disparity between, you know, the gay version of that would be Kirstie Alley, for example. But James Woods, really, it's unfortunate. You ever seen Salvador? So good. Anyway, moving on. Do you know what I think is out this coming year? And I don't mean to say this dismissively to the people who make their money on it. I just, it doesn't fill me with a good feeling anymore. I feel it has peaked OnlyFans. I just am done with it. <laughs> I've seen all you can bring. I know how you look when you fuck, and you produced it yourself on your fucking phone. I just don't need years and years of it. It, it now, to me, has that ick of it. It has the ick of, like, cameo. You know, it's just mm. like, yeah, that was a fun novelty toy for a little while. <laughs> uh, I feel like um, when it comes to that, I like the people who are giving production value. You know, I would love like to it's meet like, them. Like it's well, like there are people who like were actually doing porn before, you yeah. know, with studios, and now they like work with other people and like are actually creating real content. You know, I think I'm over the just every third person you meet like has an OnlyFans or an alt, and it's um okay, but like you're you're not really stepping it up here. It's just it's just no. sort of very lazy. That's also what you're describing is a very WeHo phenomenon of every third gay person you meet is making money on OnlyFans in some way. Also, another thing that I fucking can't stand when somebody like that is on Grindr and they have in their profile something like, um, if we meet up, you have to film or we, we can't hang out or whatever. I don't know. It sort of feels to me like 
if I ran into you at a party and I took out a recorder and I said, if you're going to talk to me, I have to be able to use it on my podcast. I'm like, <laughs> like every social interaction you can't treat like a business proposition. I just find that cold and soulless. Mm, you, gays are turning dating into The Apprentice. Right. I, truly. Yes. This competition is go out <laughs> and find people who want to fuck on camera while also drinking Trump ice. oh my god the brands on that show that should be a montage i'm gonna pitch that to kimmel trump steaks come on oh yeah vodka no i mean it goes on and on what do you Um, think is out this year my out and a friend of mine and i were talking my friend lucas tim and i were talking about this um the way that people used to say um the way that uninteresting gays used to say um we should be on a reality show because they think their lives are so interesting Right. Uh, and it's no, we want to watch aging women who have realized in careers and things to lose on television fighting with each other. I don't want to see, you know, gays who work at Zara fighting with one another. Sure. I can just see that. I can go into yeah. the Zara. Um, but what's out now is describing, um, instead of saying that, uh, he said the new thing is saying, um, when you're on like a vacation, ugh, this is just like the white lotus or something, you know? Because you know what? Those people are awful. Yeah, <laughs> right. So Which what are you actually saying about yourself? And also, does one of you want to die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Not everything is like the white lotus. I agree. Just because you, you're, you're um, what's that word for when you're lifestyle creeping? You're hanging yes. out at a fancy place. Yes, there are. There's other forms of vacation media, okay? Maybe you're on a why did I get married trip. Yes, the Road to Morocco <laughs> or the Bing Crosby, Dorothy Lamore movies of old. That would be nice to bring back. Okay. Sorry, Beach I'm also 175 bingo. years old. Yes, Beach Blanket Bingo. Yes, <laughs> Annette Funicello. I pass your star on the Walk of Fame every day. We respect you. Uh, all right, what's something else that's in for you? Well, I think we're going to elevate Greta Gerwig to the level of, I don't know, uh, uh, Godard this year, thanks mm. to Barbie. I don't know that the movie will actually be everything we need it to be. And by the way, I don't need it to be anything, so she sort of already wins. But um, it's going to be a huge moment, and I, it's the must-see movie of the year. And I don't think I had a script in mind before where Greta Gerwig necessarily directed the must-see movie of any given year. You know, she's... She tends towards smaller projects. I just, by the way, for the first time, watched Mistress America, which I had never seen before. She is so fucking good in that movie. Very happy for her. I think what's in this year is elevating her to the, you know, the level of the directorial gods we've uh, loved over the years. Yeah. And meanwhile, Noah Baumbach's out here making the must-not-see films of the year (laughs) with White Noise. (laughs) White Noise was just not it. (laughs) I like his movies. Like, I thought Marriage Story was great, you know? Yeah, I do love Noah Baumbach. I'm just being a bitch. Right. But as, as you know, of course, <laughs> Team Jennifer Jason Lee also. So I, it's, it's with reservations do I love Noah Baumbach. Piggybacking off of your OnlyFans thing being yes. out, I would say, you know what I think should be in this year? Bring back romance. Oh, sure. I have lots of thoughts about that. 
I think people should be falling in love again. I think people should be wanting to date. I like, I, maybe it's because I'm watching Sex in the City, you know, but I feel like people should be having these conversations too about like monogamy versus non monogamy, but like falling in love versus not falling in love. And like what, like, there was, there's this amazing tweet from um, Donna Smith uh, that was um, basically about, um, what is it? It's like wanting people to have, um, you know, like situationships that weren't hollow, that actually meant something. And I feel like a lot of people, you might, you may have someone that you like you're sort of seeing or sort of like hooking up with. But I feel like a lot of people like in this era of everyone who has a man looking for another man, mm-hmm. um, I think that like there are so many of these relationships that just feel sort of empty lately. And I want to bring some pizzazz back to them too, you know? I hope we do a better job in this coming year of defining the space between hookup and long-term relationship. Because I think, I mean, speaking for myself, most of my relationships are in between there. It's, you know, as um, Fran Lebowitz said, I am very shocked to say Fran Lebowitz speaks for me on this issue, but she said, like, living with someone isn't important to me, but romance is important to me. And those are like two distinct things. You know, like I think there's, there's a satisfaction quality to romance that goes beyond hooking up that I yeah I like just defining that space a little bit more because we're still speaking in pretty heteronormative terms about what it means to be with somebody you know Mm -hmm. and I think it involves more honesty and you know like yeah some people aren't prepared to do that (laughs) (laughs) and I'm gonna segue that tear falling out of your face go ahead yeah I'm gonna segue that right into my out I am not anti-open relationships at all. Um, But I will say, well, I am looking for a man this year. Keep, keep, keep your, keep your legs closed to unmarried men. Okay. (laughs) People who are married, keep their legs closed to unmarried men. Cause I am tired of competing in the dating pool with couples. You're right. There's two of them. I mean, it's just unfair. Like that's enough. In any athletic competition, we would not be paired up. (laughs) Yes. You have a man, you want another man. You know what I think should be in for for couples this year? A boyfriend. Okay? Like, if you want to have a third in your relationship who's your boyfriend that you're regularly seeing, I'm fine with that. But you know what you don't need to be doing? Scooping up a different man every weekend. Because so, some of us are looking for that man. Got it, got it. Also, let me just say something about couples dating a third. It's just inherently very funny because there's treachery. <laughs> it's so like there's a villain. It's so like you need an alliance. You know, you're never safe except you're safer because out? you're you're being honest with each other allegedly for now. It's so funny, <laughs> and it's honestly, I do. It it is a little funny, and it is a little bit like it is a bit. It is a little bit like playing the mall or training. Yes, <laughs> because if you're at a party, right, and you and you see someone, and you know they're sort of like. You're like, who is this man? Uh, and they're around, but you know your friends who are this couple. And then you meet them, they're like, oh, that's our new boyfriend or something. And like, oh, they came into the game with an objective. Yes, right. They're, they're an interrupter. And going back to pop culture, my last out is female vocalists who sound like children. I just don't need to hear it anymore. <laughs> 
guys, as you know, I'm a Carly Simon stan. And I put her on the other day. I, uh, one of my favorite songs by her is called The Right Thing to Do. And just the vocal on it is so free and there's no other word for it, adult. The joy of hearing somebody in their full, sincere voice sing, I cannot do, and by the way, this, this girl is like the Yale of what I'm talking about. I cannot do Ellie Goulding vocals anymore. I cannot, <laughs> you know, like, I can't, I can't do it. We've, we've hit this note 80,000 times. You know I'm a we, gold digger. <laughs> I've not heard that before. <laughs> I'm a Gould digger when it comes to Elliot Gould. Moving on. She delayed her album because she's back in the studio with Calvin Harris. She's going to give us bops, okay? All right. Well, I need her to take up cigar smoking or something. Like, let's drop it an octave. Actually, if you want to talk about people with that, you know, like sort of like indie, like sort of like, you know, babyish voice. Let me tell you who is opening for Taylor Swift on the Eras tour. Gracie Abrams. Hmm. Guess who her dad is? Go on. JJ. Oh my God. What? And the the vocals are very like that indie, like a high pitch sort of thing. And also just sort of like, you know, like guitar singer songwriter thing. And I'm just sort of like, who how is she opening for Taylor Swift? That is very, very shocking. Like Even is Taylor it- trying to get a movie at bad robot <laughs> even though i do stand that secretly jj abrams has really gay taste i think i brought this up before i interviewed him once and he talked about how when he was a kid he wrote a play about edith head the hitchcock uh costumer legendary hollywood costumer because he she was the only person who made cool clothes for bigger bodies mm. and i was like damn you just earned some credibility with me that i did not know you were going to get jj abrams i want to read that yeah, he I mean, he wrote it when that. he was like a teenager or something. Yeah, anyway. Um, but I'm just like, if, if there's, I just want to say, like, it would be different if Gracie Abrams was making, like, like pussy popping music, like something for the clubs, like if yeah. she was giving, like, okay, I'm going to give you pop hits, okay? But the fact that it's just, like, a guitar and this weepy indie shit, I'm just like, ain't nobody listening to that. Don't get in Chaverch's way, okay? <laughs> Guess I'm going to skip the opening act on that tour date. And of course, it'll be at the Rose Bowl anyway, so you'll be spending 10 years getting to your seat. It won't be a problem. <laughs> All right. Well, those are our ins and our outs, which really felt like we gave an elongated keep it segment. Which, any way I can cheat on that front, I'm happy to. <laughs> and... When we're back, our actual Keep It segment. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, what's yours? Well, something sinister is happening in the world of Oscars campaigning. But I think (laughs) it's mostly a good thing. Keep It guest, Andrea Riseborough was in a movie this year called Two Leslie, which was really well-reviewed. I think it has something like an 85 on Metacritic, which is well ahead of plenty of the other Oscar contenders this year. She gives a performance as a woman who wins the lottery and then blows all the money. And then her life is, again, a shambles. Like Nicolas Cage. Very much in the universe of a Nicolas Cage. Anyway, her performance is an A+. It is not an A. It is beyond that. She is so compelling, so real. I mean, I'd hate to say it, but... When you hear her talk in her soft-spoken British way and then listen to this 
oftentimes feral character. I would really compare it to something like, like Estelle Parsons and Bonnie and Clyde or something. It's so shocking, so jarring. But anyway, she was basically counted out as a contender for this movie. No one was talking about it. The best actress category seems like it's shaping up to be pretty, like we know it's Kate Blanchett. We know it's Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Williams is sort of on the bubble now, but we got Viola Davis in the picture, Daniel Deadweiler in the picture. The mainstays were there. Suddenly, out of nowhere on Twitter, many celebrities <laughs> released the same tweet about Andrea Riseborough and Two Leslie, Mia Farrow, Joe Montaigne, the list goes on. Like they didn't put an ounce of effort into whatever this is. Andrea Riseborough got on email and said, Here's what I want you to put in the body of the tweet. Send it out, Mia. <laughs> And here's my keep it goes to the people who are cynical about this, because let me tell you something. If you saw the movie, you wouldn't be cynical. It's that fucking good a performance. It's weird that it got left behind. There are great performances every year that don't get considered for this reason and that this one is better than most of those performances. Um, So I'm going to say you can snicker at the fact that she was, I guess, her connections from the many popular movies she's been in. But the fact of the matter is Andrea Riseborough is such a weird chameleon that I don't think she's caught on because, as several tweeters have pointed out, she's unrecognizable from role to role. And that is to her detriment. You know, there aren't too many Tilda Swintons out there, you know, who just get to be a completely different thing, when, whatever they do. And we, uh, you know, appreciate them about it. So I say... Go forth, Andrea Riseborough. I want to see you in the final five. You want to see her rise. Yes, that's the one. Yes. In her borough of in choice. In the boroughs. Yes. <laughs> she's from all... Staten Island to Queens. Here comes Andrea Riseborough. <laughs> she's great, all of them, Matilda the Musical. Right. I was very happy to see her in that. She was the only amazing part of um, Death of Stalin. She's good in Birdman. She was, oh, excuse me. This woman gave an A-plus performance in a movie directed by Madonna. I'm sorry. This woman deserves like the Congressional Medal of Honor for that. The movie was W.E. Not just Madonna. Uh, A-plus performance in a film directed by Tom Ford as well. Right. Movie, which we only have a couple of those. Uh Colin Firth. <laughs> yeah, because Jake Gyllenhaal is also in that movie, which, by the way, we didn't bring it up last week when we were talking about movies. But now that we're talking about performances that should, that are probably going to be glossed over when the nominations drop, Jake Gyllenhaal in Ambulance is a career best performance for him. Oh, that's so interesting. I've not seen it. I was discussing that movie with our friend Andy Favreau, who has a brief role in that movie. He does. Yes. yes. It, is, it is fantastic. Like I know we're talking about Michael Bay, but I'm like it's it's great, and Jake Gyllenhaal is just it's like he did lines of coke before he walked on the set, and he's just at this high octane the entire film, and it and it never feels like he's going like he hit like a plateau like he keeps going higher. It's oh, insane. Wow. Okay, so, I'm gonna watch this movie. Also, at the Lewis Vertel Acting Academy, we recommend you do several lines before every scene. So I'm glad <laughs> to see. The practice is being carried out. Also, Regina Hall for a sort of mid-movie, but Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Regina Hall is great in everything. I mean, remember also... Um, support the Girls. Su- support the Girls, which God, I always do. Awesome. Per- <laughs> yes, you do. And we do. <laughs> that performance is fabulous. It's, she also like steers that movie, and there are crazy characters all over the place in that movie. And normally, Regina Hall would be one of the crazy characters, but it's, you forget that she can bring such a groundedness to performances, too. Yeah, so more actresses like Regina and Andrea should be sending these emails, okay? Where's, our, where's their consider poster? Right. No, I want to say this harkens back to the Melissa Leo uh, uh, 
for the fighter thing, except she was already in contention. So that campaign, <laughs> campaign felt so weird. But it, it's it's a noble version of there's a very famous Oscar campaign for an actor named Chill Wills, who was in the mm. John Wayne movie The Alamo. And he ran this sort of tacky, uh, his publicity people ran this tacky campaign saying, Yo, uh, the people at the actual Alamo don't remember the Alamo as much as as much as audiences remember chill wills in uh the alamo is so tacky but um that energy that fervor for an oscar i'm thrilled to see it actually true in u.s history class um they only taught me about chill wills and not the actual alamo Uh, you know isn't that a shame right well he has a cool name you understand so my keep it this week goes to the drag race fans uh who are upset that the show is an hour now uh, as opposed to seven, which it used to be. <laughs> First of all, I'm a little worried that um, gays are about to descend on um, MTV like January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> the way that people have been tweeting deranged about this is I have never seen a level of like anger like this over a TV show's length. Let me point out something. One, the show ballooned to too much content a few years ago, which was actually around when the show stopped being as amazing as it used to be. The best seasons of the show were an hour. I do not think you need more than an hour of the show. The problem might be that there's too many queens now. That is exactly the problem. That's the problem. Yes, it's a lot to get in for 60 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but 60 minutes is... It's fine. And also, Untucked still exists. The whole point of Untucked was to give us extra content beyond an hour of the show. Right. You know? Yes. And then it became like, now the show's like two hours, and here's Untucked as well. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I enjoy Drag Race. I'm not one of those people who needs to spend my Friday evening watching like hours and hours of content of Drag Race. I would like a succinct show. Right. No, there is this unspoken reality TV universe that began a few years ago with like the bachelor becoming two hours, the apprentice being two hours where it's like, who fucking decided this? I mean, it's just, there's not enough story to go around. It's really crazy. I mean, I I have historically enjoyed certain two hour episodes of drag race, but not all of them are, you know, not an acting challenge episode. Okay. And this week is going to be like snatch game. And Granted, fitting two Snatch games into one episode seems like a very hard task. But I will also say, there have been a lot of Snatch games in recent years where I'm like, they could have cut that all together. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, uh, for the most part, I think this is good. I mean, if and then we're going to rally all around this Real Friends of WeHo show, and that will truly drive people to the brink. So I'm looking forward to that fallout. But also... Blaming real friends of WeHo, I mean, I'm fine with them being a scapegoat, but the show's on MTV now and the ratings are up. It would have been any show besides um, real friends of WeHo. I feel like they were never going to have it be longer than an hour because, you know, MTV, it's for their audience now, not just for the old Drag Race fans. They want new fans. And if you've grown up watching MTV, they like it fast and for the youth. Right. It's also just fun that people are mad at MTV for a new thing other than playing ridiculous too often. <laughs> so I consider this excitingly modern. <laughs> MTV's back, baby. 
<laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's our show. There was quite a lot in it. I'm almost sorry we couldn't commit really to the topic of Harry, but again, I think he'll be more interesting in the future, even outside of this book, which I is... I mean, he looks so intense on the cover, you know? It looks a little hot, but not <laughs> too hot. One of the hottest things ever was his... um. Oh, he had those, like, shirtless photos before. Oh, that was he, like... He, he, the party boy photos in Vegas, yeah, too? those. And when I worked at Radar Magazine, uh, if you all remember, Radar Magazine was sort of like, it was sort of like a s- comical sort of like print magazine that sort of was like snarky, for lack of a better word. But um, the, the covers always used to be Photoshopped things. And they Photoshopped a cover of like shirtless hair, like sitting on a throne um, back during his drunk party boy days. And I cherished that cover. <laughs> it's the is one of the best ones second only to a Tom Cruise cover which um recreated the um like the arrows going into like Muhammad Ali like oh, that yes. classic photo it was that so that was circa like the like Surrey Kate Katie Holmes like stuff where everyone was like kill Tom Cruise oh, and now I'm it. like let him rise well <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom Cruise does have St. Sebastian energy. Um, yeah. You know, taught and tortured. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to Meredith Marks for joining us on Keep It this week. And we'll see you next time. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Narmalconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S.com. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.